Kinesis. Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in this beautiful world. My name is Scott Allen, and I am the host of Phronesis, Practical Wisdom for Leaders. I am an Associate Professor of Management at John Carroll University in Cleveland, Ohio, USA. I'm an author, an entrepreneur, a speaker, a nonprofit founder, and the host of two podcasts. I'm also a husband and dad of three. You just heard from Kate, my daughter, who wrote and performed the Phronesis intro. Phronesis offers a smart, fast-paced discussion on all things leadership. My guests are scholars and practitioners, and we cover timely, relevant topics and incorporate practical tips designed to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. Now, I am proud to share that Phronesis is the official podcast of the International Leadership Association, an association that is near and dear to my heart. ILA brings together leaders and those who teach, study, and develop leadership, advancing leadership knowledge and practice for a better world. Learn more at ilaglobalnetwork.org. If you like what we're up to, please click subscribe so you can stay up to date as we release new episodes each week. You can also share what we're up to with others. And now, today's show. Today on Phronesis, I'm excited to introduce listeners to Jeannie Foray, and she is a professor of management at Western New England University. She's the soon-to-be former co-editor of the Journal of Management Education, and she's the founding co-editor of the Management Teaching Review. She has taught in New Zealand as a visiting scholar, and she currently serves as the president of the Faculty Senate since 2019 at Western New England University. So you did not time that well, Jeannie. I know. <laughs> Actually, everything kind of ends at the, at the same time. <laughs> so now I'm, I'm in the, well, what am I going to do with my time now? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. I think we were having a little bit of a dialogue ahead of the show today, and you were talking about the notion of letting go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm really intrigued because you are at this precipice where there's a few different things and you just mentioned it. Okay. What's, what's the next right. iteration? Right. So how are you thinking about it right now? Well, for me, letting go is a learned, a learned skill. We don't really talk about that a lot when we, when we talk about impact or, or making a difference. I think that's something that all of us bring to our our lives, our work, our identity is, you know, how, how can I leave the world better than I found it, yeah. whatever that world might be at any given time. Um, and I think that we don't always think about what the leaving looks like. And, you know, for, for some of us, that's, that's a, a painful thing because we equate it with kind of death, you know, we're, we're, we're leaving. And so a part of our lives has died or, or we have died. And yet I have found through my own lived experience, that letting go is as important to the act of leadership or having made a contribution than maybe the contribution itself, where it certainly is important to me that I let other people take on the mantle of leadership that I don't second guess them. I was just having a, I, I 
teach a doctoral class for Vanderbilt University on leadership that uh, Chris Quinn Trank, who who you know, I'm sure uh, very well from her work in management, education and leadership. The case that we were talking about this past week was uh, Michelle Ree and the D.C. public schools and, and her experience there and some of the dynamics of her leadership and the leadership within that context. And at the end of class, we had talked a lot about what the circumstances were and what she did and whether she was a transactional, a transformational leader and you know, the, building the, the description of the experience through the theoretical lenses that the students are, are working with. And someone said, well, she wasn't really an effective leader because everything has gone back to where it was before. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, many of her changes didn't stick. I don't know that that's a good measure of success, or is it? You know, we we talked a bit about, is that an effective measure of success? And it got me thinking a lot about how we've transitioned our sense of accomplishment to some form of legacy or things, you know, things that we've left behind. And I'm just not sure that that's healthy on the one hand, for those of us who have the opportunity to lead in organizations or, or have a leadership role, I guess, is, is even more comfortable to me, but also that it doesn't empower those who come after us to make the decisions that are right at the time. And so some things don't stick and some things aren't legacy or, or inherited excellence that some previous individual or group of individuals... <laughs> individuals pursued? I think that's a really interesting question. The whole notion of, were you a successful leader if you didn't achieve the results, so to speak? I mean, we can go to examples in athletics where I'm in Cleveland, Ohio. And before this year, at least, if you didn't have a winning season in Cleveland, Ohio, as the football coach, you were, now you aren't used to that in New England. I know that. Oh, no, not at all. No, no. We have, we have no sense of that. Seven Super Bowl rings. Seven. Ex- just seven Super Bowl rings. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Being so close to the city of champions. I, I mm. Yes. But you aren't going to exist for a long time. You're going to be gone. But is that a good measurement? Is that a good indicator of an individual's leadership? It's a fascinating question. Right. We measure success, the universal we, we measure success through metrics and we become even more attuned, particularly in in higher education and in business and management education. We now have impact. What is our impact? And it's not just the number of publications that we have now. It's the, uh, the other things that represent our excellence through others, or how many of the students in, in my institution or your institution got jobs right out of, out of university? Are we impacting? Are we providing success as a pathway to our students without really recognizing all of the various ways in which our institutions, the people we work with, the students that we have are managing and creating their own visions of success in ways that we really don't have an impact and couldn't possibly have one or expect to have one. Yeah, we couldn't even track some of those metrics. It would be impossible to do so. Right. So so what else are you thinking about with this notion of kind of letting go? What else comes to mind? I think for me, 
as I, I mentioned earlier, is, is sort of a learned, <laughs> a, a lear- it's not something we generally gravitate to. You know, when I, I remember being president of MOBTS, mm-hmm. um, the teaching society that we're both involved with, and I thought, oh, three years is such a long time. I'm going to be able to do so much good stuff. And we did. We did a lot of really good things. And we started some new things and we reached out and we created, you know, we we're very innovative and collaborative on the board. And at the end of three years, I transitioned off. And I want to say maybe 75% of the things that had been developed while I was president kind of didn't go anywhere. You know, mm. people didn't, didn't pick them up. And so I realized two things from that experience. One is if you don't institutionalize things, they don't stick. And institutionalizing is a different aspect of leadership than innovating. Mm. So if you do have a lot of time, you can innovate and institutionalize. But again, you know, the, the environment changes. So I guess letting go means being comfortable with seeing the things that you've done either wither or flourish as the case may be to recognize that that's part of the life cycle of organizations and organizing and that you as an individual can look back and feel proud of the work that you did and that the work that you did with others um, because certainly no one leads in, in a forest by themselves, and that others are doing what they think is right, given the context and circumstances that they're in. And sometimes, you know, letting go means sitting on your hands and keeping your mouth closed, <laughs> which, which I've also <laughs> learned is, is part of that process as well. It's so hard to do. It's so hard to do. so hard to do. Yeah, it is so hard to do. But, you know, there's always a but. Uh, It's either a but or an and. And it's also, in some ways, a relief, at least for me, to say, okay, you know, I did, you know, with with Kathy, we have developed things for the journal. We have done things differently than prior editors. And we've tried the best we can to continue the tradition, the ethos of JME, while also creating some new opportunities for the journal. And I can look back on that. And I know Kathy looks back on it. And, and we're, you know, we're proud of ourselves. We, we, we feel good about what we've done together. And it's now somebody else's turn, or will soon be somebody else's turn. Yeah. And I think we don't spend enough time theorizing in leadership about the somebody else's turn transition. The opportunities We say that leaders are mentors, but sometimes we have to learn how to step back. Our children grow up, our colleagues grow more mature, our organizations shift and change. If we leave a leadership position, and many of us do uh, cycle through, particularly in academia, then we need to pay a little more attention to what that looks like, I think, um, when, we, uh, when, when we think about leadership and the dynamics of a, of a full practical wisdom for leaders. <laughs> I've heard of that somewhere. Oh, yeah, there's a ring to it. <laughs> so this is really interesting because I had a wonderful conversation last summer with Susan Murphy. Susan's at University of Edinburgh. She was at Claremont McKenna before that. She is studying leader development kind of across the lifespan. So 
infant child through the stages we're speaking of. But the stages we're speaking of, I think you're exactly spot on. I don't know that much has been done about this space, about mm. this phase, about how to how to enact this phase with a sense of grace. And in a way that, to your point, it may institutionalize, it may not, but it for sure mentors and develops and props up as much as possible the next generation to be as successful as possible, while also in some ways, I imagine, reinventing self, right? Yes, yes, yes. Well, yes. <laughs> I only have a few gray hairs. I'm, you know, I... <laughs> Right. I mean, I'm constantly reinventing myself, which, you know, I like that term. I've always liked that term of of reinventing because it makes those transitions all that is possible. It's exciting. Yes. Um, It's a little scary, too, but it speaks to me anyway of it's not just letting go. It's finding a new path. And that's happily part of that transition, I think. Okay, so the big question, you're a full professor. You've served as the co-editor of of a world-class journal. You've served as the president of MOBTS. You've taught all around the world in incredible institutions. What are you looking to? What is that next adventure? What is the next iteration and version of Jeannie? I'm excited to hear this. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I mean, what, 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 yeah, what's exciting and what, what are you curious about? What are you thinking about? I'm really interested in, because again, I said this to you before we started and you were very humble, but you have a very unique perspective on the scholarship of teaching and learning. You have a very unique perspective that very, very few people have in the world. So it may be something that having to do with academia, but it could be something else in your community. It could be something else that is just really the drawing your energy, right? Mm, mm. My lived experience has been one of serendipitous transitions. It's well and said. <laughs> and what I, what I mean by that is that I can look back at moments in my life and say, oh, that was a transition point. Oh, that was a transition point. And they always led to an opportunity that I could not have foreseen if I had been thinking about what do I want to do next. Wow. I can say I have been thinking about what I want to do next. (laughs) So much so that during the past year in our COVID experience, one of the things that um, has transpired is that my ongoing desire to travel, which started when I was a sophomore in, in college some years ago and has, has stayed with me. My desire to travel has not been nurtured at all this year. Yeah. You know, I came back from New Zealand early because of COVID and have not been able to go anywhere physically in a really long time, which makes me kind of antsy. So I decided my university offers what's called a phased retirement program, which uh, is a really bad acronym. It's actually a retirement incentive program. And so <laughs> that is that is terrible. Yeah, yeah. I said to somebody recently, couldn't we just add phased in front of it? Then it could be PRIP. But uh, it, it is a three-year commitment to halftime teaching for for those who qualify either due to age or longevity 
And at the end of the three years, then you retire full time. I had not been planning to do that. I had been thinking about retiring, but retiring full time. And it became obvious to me that if I'm going to transition well out of academia post COVID, I'm going to need not to go cold turkey mm. on it. That's going to be, that would be way too hard for me. But that at the same time, if I did a halftime appointment, then I could teach part of the year and also travel part of the year and, uh, and do some other things that I've been wanting to do that I haven't been able to do this year. Um, so part of it is that, the sort of phased opportunity to think about what comes next. The other is uh, Kathy and I <laughs> refuse to be uh, uh, disconnected in any way. And so we've, <laughs> we've launched, but haven't really had the time to devote any attention to a consulting platform called Seneca Consortium. And, and we're both targeting our own interests. Kathy's is working with authors and, and, um, and others on manuscripts and, and research as mine is on career development and career coaching and, and mentorship. Aww. And so we're sort of combining those, those interests into uh, the Seneca pl- platform. And when <laughs> I think when I, when I go on halftime, then I'll have time to, uh, to really begin to, um, to organize that that effort. Yeah, and uh, and travel and uh, be with my grandchildren more as they continue to grow up. They insist on doing that. I think it's a rather positive thing, but uh, yeah. So professionally, I think I will probably continue to be involved. I do some editing work. Jen Lee and Sarah Wright and I are the three co-editors of the Teaching Methods in Business series for Edward Elgar. And we have, <laughs> we have a volume, we each have volumes coming at multiple volumes coming out each year. Um, and that's a lot of editing. So wow. uh, I think for me, the what will I do is complicated by I already do too much. And maybe, you know, <laughs> working part time. <laughs> I won't. I won't feel quite so much that I work that I work too much. But it's a joy, and I love it. And yeah. it, I am so lucky to be in a position where I can do what I love pretty much all the time. And the stuff that I don't love, I can do if it doesn't annoy me too much. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more. Tell me a little more about about Seneca. Well, Kathy and I got to thinking that we see a lot of leadership mentoring. You know, there are programs for academics uh, who want to move into administration or, or other leadership positions. But we don't really see an opportunity for institutions and individuals to do faculty development in a way that doesn't require a lot of resources. You know, you can have a center for teaching and learning at a major institution and it's well-funded and and faculty can use it or not use it, but it's internal to your institution. And so it doesn't really have a broad perspective on the field as a whole. Yes. Um, So the only folks who, who do have those opportunities are the very lucky ones who have outstanding doctoral mentors or early career mentors who make, who, who use networks effectively. 
And then there are all, all the other people in the world who either don't know that how to do that or whose institutions haven't organized the kind of faculty development that's good for individual faculty in terms of their career and academic development. And because we think we know everything um, and can do everything. <laughs> uh, and I... <laughs> Because you've been incredibly successful and you know a ton. <laughs> because we're not humble at all. We thought that, uh, you know, maybe we could make a difference by offering reasonably priced, you know, not, not uh, uh, I don't want to cast aspersions on very expensive consulting firms because they earn their money. <laughs> sure. They earn their money, but not everyone can afford them. And particularly small institutions that don't have resources to fund full-on Center for Future and Learning, you know, maybe doing workshops. And those are important. And I encourage faculty to go to them because they tend to learn something. But the one-on-one is oftentimes just not available, not present. So that's what we decided we would do. And we have done that. We, we have, have been out under the Seneca umbrella to conduct workshops for organizations that don't have their own infrastructure, or we've been invited to give talks uh, about a particular area of our expertise. Yep. Um, I do some, some one-on-one coaching. Kathy will, when she's no longer a journal editor, do some one-on-one coaching in terms of manuscript development. In those kinds of things. We, we've been very aware and sensitive to our editorial involvement, and we really didn't feel that it was appropriate for us to do much beyond the minimum in terms of speaking and consulting until we're no longer journal editors. Because when we go and talk, we are oftentimes representing JME. We don't want the, those two worlds to conflict in any way. Yep. Jeannie, I love it. I love it. I mean, Kathy and I, I don't think she mentioned Seneca. But we talked a little bit about this idea when I spoke with her. And I think there's such a need. There's such a need for individuals like myself who need that mentoring and that guidance and that resource, quite frankly, and, and access to people with that expertise and that perspective. I mean, mm-hmm. I, think, I think it's a wonderful idea. I really do. Well, I think thanks. you could create really cool communities. And, and of course, they're the one-on-one coaching. But even if there was periodic. I, I mean, I just imagine you, you were a history major as an undergrad at Berkeley. I was. Right. I was. So I imagine you somewhere in the world, <laughs> zooming in, right. <laughs> you, in your digital existence, making a difference from Greece or wherever you oh, are. That, oh, that, month. that sounds nice. <laughs> I made a difference from New Zealand last year and exactly. I've done that from, from Ireland and England and you know all exactly. kinds of interesting places. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And and so I Kathy, think, I have to say, you know, um, exactly. I, I only connect. I only connect to people who like to travel. It's, you know, <laughs> well, it's I, mean, I think it's. I think it's brilliant because, I think again that letting go of this yet starting something that is going to make such a difference in people's lives. And and again, you have that wisdom. I think it's wonderful. I really do. Thanks. Thanks. We're excited about know. it, and it's not Seneca the philosopher. Okay. I just I. You know, pe- people say, oh, Seneca, the philosopher. No, actually, it's Seneca Falls. Ah. <laughs> so we, are, we are acknowledging those who came before us and who have uh, created a path that we are now privileged to walk on. So, um, yeah. I love it. I love it. Before we wind down, mm-hmm. what's one other thing you're thinking about right now? 
And it could be something through the lens of your role as journal editor. It could be something through the lens of your role as faculty president of the faculty senate. Mm-hmm. It could be anything. Oh, I uh, see. You now you've asked me an open-ended question, and um, anyone, <laughs> any, anyone who knows me well knows that my my interests are eclectic. I'm I'm interested in a lot of different things. I've been thinking a lot about the discourse around impact, and I've been thinking a lot about the the new discourse of agility and resilience, and the ways in which those terms both create opportunities and constrain them at the same time. Say more. Okay. So you mentioned that I went to Berkeley. And so I think um, my, my, by the way, has like the best bakery ever near campus right there. I'm going to forget the name of the bakery now that I started talking about it. Oh, please. It was such a long time I've been there. Oh, okay. You haven't been there recently. No, no, not not since I tried to get one of my sons to go there for school and he went. You know what? I think the bakery is called Foray. No. Yes. I am going to look it up right now. Okay. The bakery is called Fournay. Four day. Four day. Okay. So, Jeannie, the last time I was on that campus, we were traveling with my children and my wife, and we were traveling. We were doing this three week adventure of California. So, we actually went to Fournay Bakery and picked up a bunch of baked goods and then went and sat on campus near the School of Business. It's a magical place. I really It's a glorious it. place. It really is a glorious place. And when I was there, it was very politically active. I, you know, it was the early 70s, which was a time. But the thing that I think Berkeley represents in the stream of my life or the the, the thing that connects my life is I tend to try to look at the benefits and the drawbacks of things, yeah. you know. My father used to challenge us at our dinner table to, you know, he would play, he, he would ask us a question and we would answer it. And then he would argue the opposite. It didn't matter what it was, yeah. you know, or, or what he truly believed about it. He wanted us to develop critical thinking skills, which is what we label those things now. And so I grew up in that environment and was educated in that environment and learned that you cannot take everything at face value. You have to think about the context in yep. which it is occurring. So I think about context a lot. And you know, where are we in this historical moment that brings us from you know, the, the accountability phase of some of the prior administrations in the U.S. and to where we are now, which is a value-added Higher education in the United States is extremely expensive. It has become not what it was intended to be, which was a a leveling playing field for uh, large swaths of of society because it is expensive. Even public institutions are expensive and all institutions are giving uh, a lot of financial aid, which is putting many folks in debt. So the, the model is problematic. And here we are now at this moment saying, okay, not only do, do we care about impact, you know, what is the result? What is the outcome of your education in measurable terms? How do you measure I'm a good citizen or I, I, I've, I've graduated and I feel confident in my ability to move 
along the path of, of adulthood or professional life. You know, those, those are not measurable things. My measurable things are, did I get a job? Did I move up in my career? And, and those are metrics. And so we do measure them. Yep. So impact, but that also means that we're now narrowing what the possibilities are for the outcomes to be. Yeah, for the experience um, and for us as educators to nurture things that can't be measured. So, you know, those things trouble me. And in the same way, yes, we do need to be agile and adaptive because we live in a very complex and complicated world. That's really not any different than any other time. We've always needed adaptability and understanding complexity or at least how how we move through it without losing our path or where, where we hope we are going or who we are. So I don't know <laughs> how I will engage with those things. I tend to conversationally develop my own thinking. That's yeah. one of my modes of learning. Even when I'm learning about myself, I'm very Wykean in that way. I don't know what I mean until I see what I've said, but I expect I will be involved in some way in Continuing to write in those areas um, to the extent that I continue to write, and that's a, there's a big question mark around that too. So, you know, it should should people who've retired from academia continue to write? Well, of course, some of them should, but not all of them have to. You know, so. oh, that's what I was thinking about. What else are you watching right now, or? listening to or reading that has caught your attention lately doesn't have to be about management education it could Mm. be anything what's caught your attention lately what's caught my attention well i am a huge movie and television person i came out of the entertainment industry before i went into academia i spent a number of years in and around television production and post-production and and i grew up in los angeles so between those two things it's like you know take me to the movies take me to the movies Please. Love it. So I've been binge watching a lot of anything that I can find on TV. I love the Queen's Gambit. So I love Shit's Creek. Yes. Took a little while to get into it, but once I got into it, it was super fun. I'm watching The Expanse, which is a it's a good thing too because I I I like science fiction. Have always liked science fiction in all of its manifestations. I have not been listening to podcasts as much as I was before COVID only because I'm not in my car as much. Me too. (laughs) I mean, I I, I was a huge Pod Save America fan until uh, my listening time was restricted. So uh, that's what I'm, that's what I'm watching and not listening to. And in my reading, when I'm not reading for work and I, you know, I have very definite boundaries around that, at least in my own mind, not necessarily in my own practice, but definitely in my own mind. (laughs) I read junk, complete Mm. little junk, historical romance novels, you know, contemporary uh, fiction, whatever, detective stories, mystery stories, um, but primarily historical romance novels. I don't know. You know, I mean, you got to have a place for that stuff somewhere in your brain. And uh, it's, it's as good as uh, other forms of mindless entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. We just finished the flight attendant on HBO max. (laughs) 
I've seen it and haven't watched it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. The, and the undoing, which was Hugh Grant and Nicole Kidman. Oh, right. And have not watched The Expanse, mm. but it looks like it's good science fiction. It is. I, I enjoy it. And, <laughs> and because I'm an organization person, I actually think about, you know, the organizational dynamics, the human dynamics in it and everything. So, yeah, I mean, you can't completely take me out of that area. But, um, yeah, it's good. And uh, someday we'll, we'll uh, be able to go into a theater and listen to all of the great plays and, and musicals and things that uh, we're not able to do right now. I, I have to say I had seen Hamilton live and then saw Hamilton, the, the theatrical that, that was produced and thought they did an amazing job. There's a London theater that does a live broadcast as well. Now I a National Theater Live, sorry, National Theater Live, okay. um, which I was actually a big fan of before COVID. They do awesome, awesome productions. So the, the world of entertainment has has been changing in such interesting ways. Maybe I'll go back in the entertainment industry and, you know, just say, <laughs> say oh. Okay, so I have one recommendation for you. If you have a chance, we just finished this last weekend. It's it's a It's a play. And it's now on Hulu and it's called In and of Itself. And I'll have to write this down. A lot of our conversation has been around identities. Mm-hmm. And please, 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 Jeannie, watch this and then send me a note about your thoughts. Oh, it I is absolutely will. I will. In and, of, in, and of in, itself. in and of Itself, it's one of the most powerful things I've watched recently. And we will stop there. We'll leave everyone on kind of a cliffhanger as to whether or not you ever watch it. <laughs> note you can put a little note on the website right and she watched it and this is what she thought (laughs) i will do that okay (laughs) Jeannie. thank you so much for being with us we really really appreciate it and thanks for the good work you do and uh, i i'm excited to see and learn more about seneca and excited to learn more about your next great adventure oh thank you scott it's been (laughs) it's my great pleasure thanks so much okay be well You too. Serendipitous transitions. I love that phrasing. I think it's just incredible. I really enjoyed this conversation, this whole notion of letting go, of moving through these transitions in a way that's intentional, and there's some design there. And I love how Kathy Lundeen and Jeannie are thinking about how they can give back to the community of scholars. So many of us haven't necessarily had that guidance, that support, and those cheerleaders to help us navigate some of what it is we're trying to do. And for them to offer that as a resource, offer that support, offer that guidance, I really do think it's incredible, and I do think it's needed. So for me, the practical wisdom is how do we let go? How do we intentionally design our future And how do we design a future that honors and looks back and helps those who follow, but also challenges us to grow and develop in the process? As always, thank you so much for listening. You, my friend, have just finished another episode of Phronesis Practical Wisdom for Leaders. To get in touch with me, visit www.scottjallen.net or send me a note at scott 
at scottjallen.net. I can also be found on Twitter and on LinkedIn. Now, if you have feedback, I would love to hear it. And as always, thank you so much for listening to Phrenesis. If you like Phrenesis, I have a second podcast. It's called the Captovation Podcast. That's with an O, Captovation Podcast, where I speak with experts on the topic of designing and delivering incredible presentations. And now, Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.